You're tuned into More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and I have to say I'm excited about today's show for a couple of reasons. One, I have my beautiful bride, Dee Dee, who's also our Vice President of Operations, and she is helping me co-host this Saturday. Good morning, Dee Dee. How are you doing? It's gorgeous outside. I know. It's been very, very nice. It's going to be a little bit warmer today, but it's just going to be gorgeous. And today, our show, we're going to talk about Zoo Knoxville. We really have a treasure right here uh, in our community. Zoo Knoxville, which was formerly known as the Knoxville Zoo, is a 53-acre zoo that's located, of course, just east of downtown Knoxville. And it's home to about 800 animals, and it welcomes over 400,000 visitors each year. At almost 100 years old, the zoo has undergone some major changes in the past few years and is one of the most popular destinations for locals and visitors throughout the year. And they've got some things they're actually quite quite well known for across the country. Our guest this morning is Lisa New. She is the president and CEO of Zoo Knoxville. She's, she has her Master of Science in Animal Behavior. And she's been with Zoo Knoxville since 1990, so over 30 years. Good morning, Lisa. Welcome to More Living. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Over 30 years. That's quite a run. Um, Obviously, uh, you're very passionate about Zoo Knoxville. Oh, yeah, of course I I am. It's a a treasure. It's a a blessing to go to work every day. And, And it's something that's been obviously near and dear to my heart for a long time. Well, you started, Lisa, as the Senior Director of Animal Collection and Conservation, and you served in that position for over two decades, and then you've been the President and CEO since 2013. Obviously, you have a passion for animals. Did you always know you would work at a zoo? No, it was uh, far (laughs) from my radar, I'll, I'll have to say. I I started um, actually in the uh, research department there and uh, was a keeper for a while, taking care of animals and uh, slowly uh, rose the ranks. And uh, I I knew that I loved zoology and knew that, um, that those sort of things interested me, but I really had my sights on the ocean and the sea and, uh, and, and just sort of fell into the zoo world. But you know, once it gets in your blood, um, it's hard to, to leave that profession. So I've been here ever since. That's amazing. Hey, Lisa, I have a really quick question. If you had to pick your favorite animal or animal group to watch, what would it be right now today? And in the 30 Uh, years you've been there, what would it be today? Well, it would be chimpanzees. That's, that's where my uh, background is. That's what I did my 
master's research in, and they um, they are always so interesting to watch and to be around, and um, and for sure they they have to be my favorite animal group. Well, I understand you have a 37 year old chimpanzee, and she's quite special. And did she give birth recently? Is that true? Yeah, she did. Her name's Binti. Um, she gave birth to a beautiful little baby girl that we named Stevie. Um, but Binti has never been a mom before. She's not. Um, she's never been around babies, um, and she herself was an orphan, so she really didn't have um, a lot of experience in maternal care. And, and um, that's critical for a chimpanzee. It's not instinctive for them to to be mothers. Uh, we wanted to give her that opportunity, um, but she just really has shown zero interest in the baby. She was quite sick when mm. she um, was born, and she didn't pass all of her placenta, and there were some complications with birth, um, and we needed to pull the baby um, and take care of Binti because she was sort of in a crisis. Uh, but then when we tried to put the baby back with Binti, she wasn't aggressive to it, um, to Stevie, but she was just really very aloof, um, not, not really didn't know what to do with the baby. So, so we're hand-raising the baby right now. The baby's in the facility um, where she can see and hear and smell the chimps, and the chimps can be around her. Um, and we're spending a lot of time trying to re-socialize that infant. It's just much like a human infant right now. Developmentally, they follow the same, uh, the same path. Um, but our goal is to get that baby back in with her mom or a surrogate here in the next couple weeks. Lisa, how uh, how normal is it that the zoo staff has to step in and and give that hands-on care to the newborn? And and does that human interaction have a positive or negative impact trying to reintroduce those animals back into their habitat? Well, it's a wonderful question, um, and and I'm proud to say it is not very common at all. Thank goodness. Most animals, uh, many animals, can do a, a, the job all by themselves, and you know, a testament to that are the three baby gorillas that we've raised over the years. That you know, their their moms were great mothers. The last chimp that we had born at the zoo, uh, George, about 11 years ago, his mother was a really good mom. Um, but if we need to, we have the expertise to do that. So you know, we had uh, a lion that had complications. We raised those cubs. Um, and then with the chimp, <clears throat> if you don't do it properly, um, if, if, you know, in order to kind of keep up the things we've learned about how to do this over the decades have changed dramatically. And, you know, it, if you do it right and you try to um, adhere to this goal of, of getting the animal back in its social group, then you can be successful. So we know, and when I say we, I mean sort of the collective <laughs> zoo brain trust. You know, we know that if we um, raise this chimp, you know, like right now, she, you know, we wear black sort of uh, vests with a lot of yarn and shag on it so the baby can uh, clutch uh, the bait like it would its mother. We, we keep the baby in a vertical position as much as possible because that's what would be happening if it um, were with its mom. And we we really hold it 24-7. We don't let it down. Um, that's also common. And then we start to train those um, mother or surrogate 
um, someone who has caregiving interest in the baby, we start training them right away to uh, bring a toy doll or a baby or something up to the wire um, where the baby can get a bottle. And so that sort of training is um, ongoing with the, the chimps themselves. The chimps are fascinated by um, the baby, with the exception of Binti, or the mom, not really, uh, but, but we do think we have two females in the group who would be wonderful surrogates that are really smart and will bring that baby to the cage front when we introduce it to get it, you know, its nourishment, and, um, and we're just following those national protocols to be sure that we can, we can do everything we can to give this little baby a normal life, because if she stayed with us, uh, long term, it would. The longer she's with us, the more it diminishes her opportunity. Well, what about Binti, thirty-seven years old, and had the baby? I mean, what's the average lifespan for a chimp? And you know, is that old for her to give birth, or is that uh, a common age? Um, I'd say that it. Well, in the wild, it would certainly be. Uh, she would be uh, considered geriatric. Um, in the chimp population, though, chimps can live, you know, well into their 50s, their 60s, um, and uh, in the wild, they would continue to give birth every, you know, five years, four to five years, um, and, you know, they would be pregnant or nursing, um, and so Binti's really considered mid middle age. Um, in the chimp population in North America, we would... Um, quit offering breeding recommendations after 40. Just because after 40, they um, there can be higher complications uh, with pregnancy and delivery. And, you know, the chimps, just like human females, your joints are, you know, you start to have arthritis problems and things like that. So, so we don't make a recommendation after 40. Um, but, you know, all of our gorilla females um, were approaching 40 when they had their next babies, and they all did great. This is More Living with Jim Brogan. We're visiting with Lisa New. Uh, she is the president and CEO at Zoo Knoxville. I have my beautiful wife, Dee Dee, that is helping me co-host today. When we come back, we're going to get to some of the incredible expansions and renovations that have been going on with Zoo Knoxville. Also, I know we'd like to talk to you a little bit, Lisa, about how you coordinate with the University of Tennessee Veterinary uh, College and, and how instrumental is that and how you all uh, kind of move forward and, and I have to admit, Lisa, I'm all about the big cats. That's my favorite part. So I know we're going to want yeah. to talk about the big cats. So do stay with us. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. This is Jim Brogan. We're uh, visiting with you every Saturday at 9 to 10 a.m. and again 3 to 4 p.m. Our guest this morning is Lisa New. She is the president and CEO for Zoo Knoxville, and they've got some great things going on over there. It's particularly of interest as well to my wife, Dee Dee, who's also our vice president of operations over at Brogan Financial. She's helping me co-host this morning. And Lisa, I, knew, I know that uh, Zoo Knoxville's been working on some incredible expansions and renovations, from bit the Rhino to Big Cat exhibits a few years ago to the brand new Reptile Building. Tell our listeners about all of the amazing changes that have been happening. 
Oh, well, if you haven't been to the zoo in the past um, five years or so, then it is not the it is not the same place. We um, about seven or eight years ago, we started um, a major capital rebuild and uh, capital campaign. Uh, it's called the Dream Wilder campaign. And um, through that campaign, we transformed about a third of the overall campus, uh, especially when you walk right in the doors. So, you know, you mentioned the rhinos. Um, you know, if you, if you, it's been a while since you came to the zoo when, when you used to come in, the first thing you would see this big rhino exhibit. I'll call it a pit, really. You looked down into it. It wasn't really great for the rhinos. It wasn't great for our guests and wasn't great for our staff to service either. And so part of our expansion took that rhino exhibit, uh, relocated the rhinos to down across from elephants. Um, and transformed that into a multi-species habitat for uh, for endangered tigers and white-necked cranes, gibbons, white-handed gibbons, and silvered leaf langurs. Um, that's Boyd Family Asian Trek, and it um, is just a, a gorgeous uh, habitat. It's won numerous awards. In fact, um, please, USA Today um, is is currently in another voting cycle. And it ends on Monday. Uh, we're currently uh, ranking about number nine in uh, the uh, most popular zoo exhibits in the country. So we need everybody to go on and, and vote for that. But, um, yeah, that opened um, in 17 and 18 and 19. We brought on a new restaurant. Um, and then uh, the past couple of years we've opened probably one of the things I'm the most proud of is the um, – Clayton Family Amphibian and Reptile Conservation Campus. It's right in the middle of the zoo. Um, it features all of the turtles and tortoises and um, reptiles and amphibians that our zoo is world famous for in a beautiful indoor facility. Um, that has opened and been hugely successful. And then this year, we opened Clayton Otter Creek. We bought, brought our North American River otters down to the front of the the zoo as well and it is um super popular people are just loving it so the zoo is um yeah we have really grown and much more hopefully people think a much more polished place than than it was maybe six or seven years ago are y'all on 53 acres is that what i understand and i understand you have about 400,000 visitors each year um, we are on about 50-plus acres. Um, we do not do not have all of that uh, developed and in service. Um, probably uh, closer to 40 or so is, is what we have in service right now. And I am proud to say that uh, we are well over 500,000 guests. In fact, last year, 21, uh, we had 585,000 people who came to the zoo. That was a World wow. record for, uh, or a, a, a record for us. Um, we had never had that many. Um, it surpassed our highest year in 2018 by 70,000 people, and it was over 130,000 people more than 2019. So people were coming out in droves to see the ARC, the Amphibian and Reptile Campus. Well, let me let me and ask you a question. I know, that's that's amazing. Congratulations <laughs> on that achievement. Um, that's exciting. I think it really puts Knoxville on the map even more so with and encouraging people to go out and vote. That's exciting. Um, share with us a little bit about your educational programs. I know you have them for children. 
tell us a little bit about that, but what do you have for people that just are in the community that want to learn more that are adults and, you know, might be in their 30s, 40s, 50s? Well, uh, <clears throat> you know, of course, for kids, we, we have a lot. We One of our, our homeschool programs, we offer um, science-based curriculum for homeschool students through a consortium. Um, that school is full um, every week. We have multiple classes. We have zoo camps. Zoo camps probably um, close to full now, but if people are interested, they can still go summer zoo camps for our children. Um, we have overnights for scout groups and uh, church groups and things. That's called Bedtime with the Beast. Um, so we have uh, all that going on for um, for our kids. And then for adults, um, we have uh, our uh, um, sundown safaris, um, you know, like an evening excursion, again, with group or friends. Um, in our Circle of Friends membership program, uh, we offer all sorts of um, events throughout the year that are exclusive for Circle members. So they can come out to the zoo, participate in our programs, uh, have the zoo to themselves with food and drink and, and bring their families. But we also have, you know, more um, sundowner um, evenings for our Circle folks that um, that maybe they don't want to bring their kids to. So, Lisa, you know, when you talk about all that's going on over there and the number of visitors and, and all the different things, it takes a lot of support behind the scenes. I mean, you've got everything from ticket tapers, ticket takers to zookeepers to, you know, hot dog stands. How many people does it take to run the zoo uh, through the day and through the years? <coughs> Well, um, we do have a lot going on, and we're hiring. So I should say that, too. If you want to work at the zoo, you know, um, It's a pretty tight labor market, isn't it, to find it's good people? It's a pretty great – yeah, it is. Fun's it, it is. one of our core values. Um, we like to have a good time. If we didn't – if we took ourselves too seriously, um, we, it, it wouldn't be a zoo. I mean, it's we're supposed to be fun. But, you know, there – right now we have about – uh, 150 full-time staff that work at the zoo, um, and then during our season, uh, high season, you know, spring to fall, we take on probably another 100 people in uh, seasonal and part-time folks. Um, and ev like you mentioned, it's it's a lot like running a city. We have everything from, you know, ticket takers and people that are interacting, helping you interact with our animals, like with our giraffe feedings and our uh, tortoise feedings, budgie feedings. Um, we, through our concessionaire, we have uh, we have um, food uh, people in hospitality and food production, and then of course you know scientists, animal keepers, uh, veterinary technicians, and accountants, IT, uh, you know marketing, you name it. Um, if you name it, we've got it at the zoo, and there's there's always positions um, open. Now, regarding I want to know about UT. Go ahead, Jim. No, that's where I was going, Dee. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. See, great minds think alike. <laughs> yeah. Well, the veterinary so I, yeah, college I'm and about that. Yeah. yeah so you know, I would assume, Lisa, sorry, you probably have a. No, you're fine. 
I would assume yes. you probably have a staff, a medical staff on site at all times. And, but tell me the involvement that UT has and the impact that they have and how y'all partner and they work with you and you work with them. And especially with animals that, you know, aren't as common, which we are so blessed to have UT um, Veterinarian Hospital here. So I know that's probably a big benefit to you all. Yeah, it is for sure. We do have um, a medical staff at the zoo. We have um, veterinary technicians and um, and staff that work in our clinic is what we call it. Um, they are there for day to day. And then our veterinarians um, are uh, contracted through the University of Tennessee College of Vet Med. And um, they are uh, professors of veterinary medicine. There are two individuals who um, who serve the zoo. And they and one of the two of them is always on. They have, you know, one month on, one month off. They are uh, professors in exotic animal medicine. And we are so fortunate. We're actually only one of eight institution, uh, eight such relationships in the country between a zoo and a veterinary college. And what that does for us, and really it, it's written into our bylaws since the inception of the zoo as a as its own 501c3 uh, in our charter and bylaws are this relationship with the school and um, the dean of the veterinary school sits on our board um, and is uh, an officio member and advisor uh, and uh, and through that program you know we are able I think of our veterinarians um, often as internists or you know general practitioners but through them their their experience is very vast um, across many species um, but through them as conduit to the university we get the very best veterinary care um, sort of best in class that there is whether it's a a surgeon or a large animal vet or a, a horse tooth specialist or a hoof specialist or dermatologist, oncologist, um, you name it, um, that expertise is there at the university, and we are so blessed to be able to take care um, to have that relationship. That's amazing. I love that story. Now let's talk about, I wanted to, I mentioned to you, Lisa, I'm all about the big cats. <laughs> Let's talk about the lions first. I know I, I would imagine it's one of the most popular exhibits at the zoo. They're just so regal. Now, seeing them up close can be slightly intimidating. You all celebrated the birth of a pair of endangered African lion cubs just before Christmas. Talk a little bit about raising rambunctious little cubs. Well, you know, if you see them today, they they are um, kind of lanky, awkward teenagers, but um, they grow so fast. But, uh, yeah, we did have two lion cubs. It was the first in many, many years. Um, in late December, our female lion, Amara, um, started to show signs of labor. Um, but that labor did not progress as quickly as it should have. And um, so those veterinarians we were just talking about from uh, from the vet college helped us intervene, and we had an emergency C-section. And it was a good thing that we did that. And, you know, of course, we're watching the animals very closely. But um, Amara had one of her four cubs was actually – uh, breach in the birth canal, and those other three cups were not going to be able to be delivered. So, unfortunately, the one that was in the birth canal didn't make it, and then the third one, um, a, a third one, um, or another one of the four, 
didn't make it shortly after birth, but there were two cubs that were left and were healthy. And, you know, Amara had uh, surgical incisions and uh, issues. So once again, we made that decision that we would hand raise those um, cubs. Uh, we thought that would be what was best for the mother. And, um, you know, she came out of anesthesia and also a first time mom, you know, we weren't sure, um, given our need to intervene, what would happen there. So we were hand raising those two cubs, um, and they are thriving. They're doing great. Um, and our goal again is to get those back with their family, um, here in the next few weeks, we've been, um, you know, just like the, the chimp, um, very different in how we raise, uh, cubs, what's most important for lion cubs is that they have a peer, you know, that they have a friend early on. Lions develop just like domestic cats really quickly. You know, their eyes are open quick. They're agile and moving around. Um, and really by by the age that they are now, they're getting to be um, quite difficult to handle. So the goal is to get them back with their family as soon as possible. Um, but they're, they're doing uh, terrific. We're visiting this morning with Zoo Knoxville President and CEO Lisa New, talking about the many exciting things that are going on over there. And when we come back, uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about what they're doing with breeding and conservation programs. We'll also get, did you know that the Knoxville Zoo, this, excuse me, Zoo Knoxville, is a capital of the world for one animal species? We'll get into that as well. I'm also going to have my dollars and cents segment are you concerned about turmoil in the stock market? Because there certainly has been quite a bit. And let's put it in perspective, and then how should you be reacting to that turmoil? So stay with us. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. I have my wife, Dee Dee, that's helping me co-host this morning. We're visiting with Lisa New. She is the president and CEO of Zoo Knoxville, and we're talking about uh, all the great things that are going on over there. We've really got a gem right here at Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, before we do get back to Lisa, it is time for Dollars and Cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. How should we be responding to the current market turmoil? There has been quite a bit of stock market turmoil. Let's Let's just look at a perspective of exactly what's going on and then what should you be doing about it. Uh, when we look at stock market volatility, uh, what's going on right now, th there have been some unusual things. In the first week of May, if you, if you remember, we had a day where the Federal Reserve announced they were going to increase interest rates by a half a point rather than three-quarters of a point, and the market rallied and went up 3% in one day. And then the ne next day, the market went down 3.6%. Uh, 
Uh, then we had tremendous movement the following Monday, and of course, Tuesday of this week, we had a huge downturn in the market. This type of volatility is not real normal. In terms of those swings two days in a row where we, it moved over 3% one way and then over 3% the other way, that's only happened up until a couple of weeks ago. That had only happened seven times since 1970. And three of those were in the financial meltdown in October of 2008, and another three were in the pandemic of March 18 or March 2020. So that's it, it is very unusual to have that type of volatility. Volatility does breed more volatility. However, let's not go too far with that. When we look at market decline, uh, believe it or not, the average downturn. If we look at every year in the stock market since 1928, in the middle of those years, intra-years, between January 1st and December 31st, on average, the market goes down about 16% on average every year since 1928. That's just the average downturn mid-year. And right now, with this week, I mean, we're pushing 18 19%. I mean, we're near a bear market, which would be 20%. But the point is, uh, we have market corrections is, is normal. It's a normal part of market phases. Now, please don't misunderstand me. There are some real concerns right now with how is inflation going to impact corporate earnings? And how is Federal Reserve policy going to affect the economy and will it trigger as the Fed raises interest rates to try to get our arms around inflation, will it trigger recession? So there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty right now of how that's going to all play out. And that's why the markets are reacting the way that they are. What's going to happen next month and through the end of the year? Nobody knows. Volatility is normal in the markets, even though this current volatility is somewhat abnormal. However, one of the real keys to successful investing in the long term is the amount of time you are in the market. It's not the timing of the market. I have a chart here from January 1st of 1995 through April the 30th of this year. So we're looking at what, 20, 20, a little over 26 years of data. If we look at, if you had been fully invested in the S&P 500, you'd have made about 84 percent per year. However, if you had missed the best 10 days in the stock market in that same 26-year period, you would have only made 5.3% per year instead of 8.4. So one of the keys in successful market investing is to be invested for the good days and the good weeks and the good months. And we never know what's coming next. I don't know Nobody knows. Are there concerns? Yes. Could corporate earnings surprise in the next few months and the market rebound? Yes, that could happen too. The, the problem is that the, the number one way to fight inflation long term is the stock market. So two big tips of how to be successful. One, make sure you have a financial plan that you don't have to cash in your market investments when they're sharply down. That is one of the fundamental rules of wealth management is that you have more safe and stable holdings that you can draw from when markets are sharply down. So if you're approaching retirement or in retirement, 
your short-term income needs should not be met by cashing in at-risk investments. Instead, it should be met by cashing in stable holdings that aren't so sharply up and down like the stock market. And then number two, when you're close to retirement or retired, you don't have 30 years to go through the inevitable ups and downs. And one of the real enemies of successful investing is the cruel math of losses. You know, if you lose 40% in an average market downturn, you have to make 67% just to get back to break even, and that takes a long time. So how do you introduce the diversification in your portfolio that you need to where when markets are sharply down, you're hopefully not down as much? So that's critical so that because we are going to have these volatile types of markets, if there's, if there's two things I know about the stock market, it's that it's volatile and it's very, very unpredictable. So you need a financial plan that can help protect you from the impact of short-term volatility. That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com. Please check us out at BroganFinancial.com. You can click for on our resources and download uh, the resources that we have. We have all of our shows and our Dollars and Cents segments podcast on our website. If you go to BroganFinancial.com and click on radio, you can download and, and listen to all of those podcasts. Uh, my next class uh, that I'm having in adult education is August the 30th. It's at Pellissippi State Community College. It's retirement income planning. How do you specifically structure your investments for stable income in the short term and growth of income in the long term? How do you time your Social Security election? I like to say it's the most important election you'll vote on in your retirement years. Uh, so go uh, check us out at that class. Uh, you can find our full upcoming schedule both at University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State Community College at our website. Go to BroganFinancial.com and click on Classes. We're visiting this morning with Lisa New. She is the President and CEO of Zoo Knoxville. And Lisa, let's talk about zoo breeding and conservation programs. They're all part of a national network to help endangered species. Uh, first off, how critically important do you think that is? And secondly, what is your response to someone that says they don't like the concept of a zoo because the animals are not in their natural habitat? Well, I think, um, you know, first of all, the work that we do with um, breeding and, uh, and conservation of wildlife is critically important. I mean, there are numerous, um, <clears throat> numerous species that wouldn't exist in the wild if it weren't for the breeding efforts of zoos and aquariums. Um, so that work is, um, I think, is critical, and it's it's a key ethos of our mission. Um, and then, you know, uh, we understand that people have uh, different feelings about animals that live in our care. And, you know, the I've, I've mentioned the conservation of some of those animals. If we weren't working to save those animals, they wouldn't be around. Um, but, you know, for people that are opposed to zoos, <clears throat> um, I would say that, you know, the, the majority of these animals were not uh, taken from the wild. We may or may not have animals to return back um, or, I'm sorry, habitat to return animals back to um, as the world 
changes with um, deforestation and habitat encroachment. And so these animals are serving uh, a real purpose in zoos. We're, you know, we are not the zoos of uh, a decade ago. We're certainly not the zoos of 100 years ago. We continually are evolving as a science and a profession in terms of how to care for those animals and also how to give them uh, a life that's full of choice and control and, you know, where their well-being is uh, as first and foremost. So, um, you know, we are not uh, the wild, um, you know, and the wild is uh, often a very, very tough life. Uh, we certainly want animals in wild habitats for years to come, and zoos are um, helping in that effort as well. There's real conservation work that happens through zoos, uh, not just in the zoo itself, but on the ground, um, in the wild, in the field. Um, so we're contributing in all of those ways. And, you know, finally, I would say, you know, most everybody, you know, of the 585,000 people that come to our zoo every year, um, only a handful of them might ever get to see these animals in Africa or in India or in Asia um, in their natural habitats. A lot of people who come to the zoo have never even seen a black bear in the wild. So we serve as a real connection to wildlife. Um, you can't care about what you aren't connected to, and and that's part of our mission is to be sure that people see these animals, can enjoy them, be inspired by them, and and help us save them. Hey, uh, Lisa, just real quickly here, we've got to get to our next break, but I do want to ask you about the red panda. The, the red, we're the red panda capital of the world. Many people may not really realize that. We've had more than 100 births, more than in any other zoo in the world. Can you talk a little bit about some of the really cool things with red panda? Yeah, you know, red pandas are, um, they're not the black and white big uh, bear. They are their very own unique animal, cute little precious uh ginger red um, animals, and we have bred more of them than any other zoo um, in the world, but more importantly, we have the expertise to help keep them alive. They're born really helpless and developmentally delayed due to their plant-eating lifestyle, and we over the years have become really experts at what it takes to get them to thrive, how to intervene if they have health or medical challenges, and so the survivorship of a panda born here at Zoo Knoxville is in excess of 90, 90%. It, and not only are we um, good at creating the conditions under which they will breed, um, but also that they will be born and survive and thrive. We're going to get to our last break. We're visiting with Lisa New from Zoo Knoxville. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're visiting with Lisa New, Zoo Knoxville. Lisa, when we read the history of the zoo, it really is very, very interesting, some of the many different things um, in terms of how it's kind of come to be and the notable things along the way, including some connection with Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Can you just hit a couple of the highlights of things people may not know about our history? Well, I want her to tell the first animals, Jim, the first few animals that came too. 
Yeah, you know, uh, people might not realize we when we um, started out, we were um, a, a division of Parks and Recreation in, uh, in uh, city of Knoxville. And the first uh, zoo was actually not a zoo. It was called the Birthday Park. Um, and, you know, our first animal was actually an alligator. Um, and, you know, just really um, a small menagerie of, of dropped-off animals and abandoned exotic pets. And uh, most notably was um, was Big Diamond, the big uh, African elephant bull um, who was um, part of the circus and actually was uh, left at the zoo tied to a tree. And um, that... Uh, Big elephant went on to fire uh, the first African elephant born in the Western Hemisphere, um, and his daughter, Little Diamond, went on to live um, at the North Carolina Zoo for many years. So certainly that that is part of our legacy, um, you know, being led uh, by Guy Smith. Um, he was uh, the first zoo director, and, you know, he started um, after uh, that humble beginnings um guy came in as the first kind of official zoo director and um got involved all because um he had a pet lion named joshua that he realized he could not care for properly and um so he got involved with the zoo brought joshua to live um at the zoo and and he went on to really bring us uh, a, a zoo of modern you know modern um practices so he was our first zoo director and i'm I'm the fifth. <laughs> Lisa, wow. the zoo is supportive. The, the, the zoo depends on local support. I know you've got a lot of local companies and organizations. Um, but in terms of just the overall local community, besides financial donations, how can the local community support the zoo? Well, there's a couple of ways. The the most important way, I always say, is just come. Um, come to the zoo and support us. 100% of your ticket goes to the operations of this community treasure. Um, but there's other ways as well. Um, you know, if, if um, you like the zoo, you like the park and want to enjoy it, you know, be, becoming a member um, is always a great option. It's affordable, and you can come to the zoo um throughout the year uh, so that is definitely the best way to help support us is to come um, depending on the season and the year you know we also are always looking for um, tree cuttings for our animals especially for the elephants part of our job to um, to make sure that they're locked full of choice and control um, and replicating what they would do in the wild as possible is with their diet elephants eat a lot of trees, a lot of tree bark and branches, and so we have a continual program where tree cutters are bringing that material in. We feed it to our elephants, and then the city of Knoxville helps us dispose of what um, what's left. We're um, really particular that trees have to be uh, a certain kind um, that, that we know our animals can eat and not sprayed with pesticides or things, but um, that tree browse program has been really um, quite successful for us uh, and just getting that word out. Well, Lisa New, I, I wish we had more time. Thank you so much for being with us today and, and for all that you do for Zoo Knoxville. And I encourage all our listeners to get out and support the, the zoo because it's just a great thing we have right here in Knoxville. Lisa, thank you for your time. Thank, thank you. you so much for having us. Absolutely. Many thanks as well to Dee Dee, uh, my bride, for, fill, for uh, helping me co-host today. 
Uh, we've been discussing the community because a greater community provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Many thanks to Chris for engineering the show. Many thanks to Jill for helping produce the show. Again, thank you, TD, for co-hosting. You've been listening to More Living with Jim Brogan here every Saturday on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Have a very blessed weekend. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.